are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. Lance, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing great, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Need to get my headphones on. Of course, Sting strolled into the studio today. (laughs) A spry young fellow. Winners last night, the Houston Astros, 7-2. Was, lopsided victory so far he didn't even say anything he was just like boys how are you doing and you were like don't don't even start. yeah you took it the wrong way Noah. Don't start i did not take it any such wrong way i didn't do anything to you yesterday let the record hold that that's not true <laughs> i could have been that unbearable can, yesterday that can be disproven by anyone who goes and listens to the podcast the opening the podcast uh, yesterday as they you should had a, you as had a message for me you had a message yeah absolutely uh, yeah, you can go listen to uh, yesterday's show wherever you get your podcast. by the way. That's right. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. we got a fun show for everybody today. We're going to continue to break down this Auburn Ole Miss game as well as we'll have NFL picks throughout the show. We'll also be speaking with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com here with us on the Thursday edition of the show instead of the normal Friday that we have him with. We'll have him back on Friday starting next week. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334 that's how you can reach out to the show and get involved any takes comments questions that you've got for us hit us up here on our phone lines once again 334-321-1390 lance we will talk atlanta braves baseball later on or houston astros baseball last night because the braves were sloppy and did not play like they did in the first game or really like they have all postseason long we'll get to that later on in the show at 3 p.m we're going to start off the show today breaking down the position group matchups between Auburn and Ole Miss this is something an exercise that we began at the beginning of SEC play where we take a look at each position group and say which team has the advantage there which team has the better position group so for example Matt Corral versus Bo Nix Who's got the better quarterback? And I think the answer here is pretty obvious. Yeah, I think it's got to be Ole Miss with Matt Corral. I mean, early on in the season, we were talking about this guy as a potential Heisman candidate. I think he's definitely still in the running right now, but you could probably look at a couple of guys that are sitting over him right now in terms of odds and different things like that. But he's still been a phenomenal player so far this season. 15 touchdowns, one interception, almost 2,000 yards passing at this point. He completes almost 68% of his passes. 474 yards on the ground as well that currently leads the uh the team in total rushing yards he's got nine touchdowns on the ground so in total that's the i mean he's on pace to do to do things that we've not seen in quite some time in the sec he's not on pace to have a joe burrow type of season but he's definitely on pace to have a a very very good season and definitely a, a one that should be in consideration for the heisman i think potentially at the end of the season I stand by the statement that Matt Corral is the best dual threat quarterback in the country. 
and the way that people view Matt Corral or the way that people viewed Matt Corral, I'm not going to say that people continue to view him this way because I do think some of the perceptions, some of the narratives about this Ole Miss offense have been debunked throughout this season. And just the way that folks are talking about them now, it is they are giving Ole Miss more respect on the ground than they were coming into this season. This is a run-first football team. But when you talk about dual-threat quarterbacks, I think people get lazy. I think people are quick to slap dual-threat quarterback onto, or that type of title, onto any quarterback who has the ability to run the football. But just because you can run the football well doesn't mean you can throw the football well. In order for you to be truly a dual-threat quarterback, I need you to be good at doing both. And Matt Corral, undeniably, is the best dual-threat quarterback in all of college football. He's the best passer and the best rusher when it comes down to it or at least the combination of the two. I don't think he's the best passer, but I do think a combination of the two, when you're talking about how great of a rusher he is and how great of a passer he is, you you, you combine those two and you compare that to the rest of college football in your so-called dual-threat quarterbacks, nobody else has quite the tools that Matt Corral does. I don't think they do. I think there are certainly a few different quarterbacks out there that are similar in play style, but not on the level of which Matt Corral is this season. An issue that a lot of people had with this kid last season was the turnovers, right? The interceptions that he would throw in volume in a couple of different games last year. This year, only one interception against Tennessee. He's cut down tremendously on the turnovers. He's been incredibly efficient. You can look at other quarterbacks in the nation like a Malik Willis type of guy, but you look at his numbers and and, and you look at other quarterbacks there's just not a lot of guys that are true dual threats in the way that Matt Corral has been this season he hasn't experienced a lot of pressure we didn't really dive too much into how Matt Corral has performed against pressure or when pro football focus has deemed him to be under pressure in the pocket but I'll say based on the statistics that pro football focus has which Matt Corral has seen pressure 30.5 percent of the time on his dropbacks 30.5% of Matt Corral's dropbacks, he has seen pressure. That's not necessarily a blitz. That just means he has encountered pressure in the pocket. I think he's performed very well. He's not thrown a lot of interceptions. His turnover-worthy play percentage doesn't really experience a huge uptick. Last season, you hit the nail on the head with this. He threw a lot of interceptions last year. You think about the fact that he had a six-interception game, and then he followed it up with a five-interception game later on in the season. When he experienced pressure last year, it was possible and relatively easy in some games, you could say this last year, to rattle Matt Corral and force him into mistakes. This year, that has not been the case. He has made very little mistakes. And the mistakes that he has made, they aren't leading to turnovers. Exactly. And also, I want to point out, not only is he not making mistakes, but he's making the right decisions. I feel like whenever those pressure situations do eventually come, we saw it a lot in that Tennessee game on third down where he would just continue to extend drives by using his legs and making people miss I believe he had 195 yards rushing in that game he's been able to kind of handle those moments as of late did he do it in the Alabama game no not consistently but in the other games that he's played so far this season whenever Ole Miss has needed him to not turn the ball over and make a good decision I feel like he's been able to do it at different points especially on third down something else to add about Matt Corral you bring up some of his rushing ability there pro football focus yards after contact per rush here for Matt Corral, 2.92. You want to know what Snoop Connors is? What? 2.43. 
He's averaging more yards after contact than their power back in the backfield for them and Snoop Connor, and he's also tied for the team lead in rushing touchdowns with nine. So when I talk about a guy being dual threat, yes, I care about this guy being able to run the football and being an excellent rusher, but I also want to know, is he an excellent passer? And Matt Corral is excellent at both. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. Spectre on the line with us early on in the day. Spectre, how's it going? All right. Uh, I hear you all talk about Pat Corral. Now, uh, of course, I don't think he's in the same league as Cam Newton, but uh, compare him to Nick Marshall in 13. I think Nick Marshall was the more explosive rusher, but I definitely think Matt Corral's the better passer, and it's not even close. Now, in 2014, I think Nick Marshall, obviously he had some big games through the air, but I still would say Nick Marshall's career as a passer, I would still take Matt Corral's career as a passer. But rushing ability, I think Nick Marshall's far more explosive than Matt Corral. Yeah, I do too. Um, The problem with uh, Corral winning the Heisman is the fact that uh, most most winners of the Heisman don't have two or three losses. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's going to hurt him. Get He'll probably be in the running, I mean, maybe three or four. But to win it, I, I don't think so. He also doesn't have a ton of passing touchdowns this year. He's got 15. You compare that to Bryce Young. Bryce Young's got 26. Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh, he's got like 24 um total touchdowns wise he's still right there with them because of what he's done on the ground but I think you're right even statistically for Brian Harson earlier this week and I know he was just saying this to be complimentary but he said that Matt Corral should be the Heisman front runner I disagree with that I think he I'm with you yeah. Specter. I think he's third or fourth but he's still a phenomenal quarterback hey listen I'm gonna call you next hour I got something else to talk to y'all about let's do it we look forward to it later on Specter. That was Spectre on the line with us, 334-321-1390. Looking forward to hearing from him later on in the show. Yeah, I think talking about the Heisman race with Matt Corral, and then I do want to talk about Bo Nix for a second. But when you look at total touchdowns, Matt Corral's right there. He's got 24 total TDs this year when you couple the 15 passing touchdowns with the nine rushing touchdowns. But Bryce Young has 26 passing TDs. I believe he's got two total rushing touchdowns. Those two actually came this past weekend against Tennessee and then Kenny Pickett also in that same category up there with Bryce Young I don't know exactly how many touchdowns total that Kenny Pickett has but I know he's got a few less passing but he's also got a couple more rushing I think too so you look at it Pickett and Young definitely have the most statistics here when comparing them to Matt Corral yeah uh the last actually sorry in the last decade only Two Heisman winners have played on a team with more than two losses. That was Lamar Jackson at Louisville. They were 9-4. and four, And Robert Griffin III's Baylor Bears were 10-3. and three. To be fair, though, Ole Miss losing to Auburn this weekend puts them at two. Do we think they lose another one after this? I don't think so. I don't think I don't so. See how. I mean, you've got a shot to lose to Texas A&M, but I just don't. I don't think that's, that's, that's really possible. So, yeah, I don't think so. I think you'll be there in New York. I'm yeah. just not taking him to win it. And right now I would have him second or third on my Heisman ballot. I like him more as a player. If you were asking me which player do I want, would I rather have Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh or Matt Corral? Who would you take? Matt Corral. Exactly. And the reason for that is his rushing ability that Kenny Pickett just doesn't have. Right. I think Kenny Pickett's every bit as good of a passer. But once again, I go back to dual threat quarterback, Matt Corral. It's not even close. I wouldn't even put Malik Willis in this category. I think Matt Corral is that much better as a passer 
than Malik Willis is. That is how good Matt Corral is. There is not another dual threat quarterback in this country, I think, that fits into the same category as Matt Corral in my mind. He's that good. Kenny Pickett uh, does have three rushing touchdowns, and he's got 23 touchdowns to one interception right now. So he's a couple of TDs behind Bryce Young on the total TD tally. Yes. So also, I, interesting that he asked about, you know, the, Matt Corral's not comparable to Cam Newton. Actually, uh, our good friend Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast had an Ole Miss podcast host on to talk, and the literally the first thing that the Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss podcast host said was, I think this team is comparable to the two 2010 Auburn team because we've got our Cam Newton and we've got our Nick Fairley and, and, and Jake Springer and I just got to say I appreciate the comp but not even close and also to Specter's point you're not going to have that type of team if you're losing Auburn in 2010 didn't lose they won I would also argue that the skill position uh for Ole Miss I think they have just a little bit more talent or at least maybe a little bit more depth than Auburn had but but who knows my point being is that yes this team is good offensively yes Matt Corral is good but they are not Cam Newton level. Sure, like you said, I think we'll see him in New York, but I just don't know if I'm picking him to win it right now. I'm going to be real. That bothers me. Mm -hmm. That bothers me. That'll tell you right there how this Ole Miss team views or how this Ole Miss fan base views this Ole Miss team and how confident they are coming to Jordan-Harris Stadium. They think they're national championship contenders if they think that this is their Auburn 2010 team. Maybe I'm taking that out of context. All right, quick question here before we move on to other position groups. Eli Manning or Matt Corral, who are you taking? Uh, Eli Manning or Matt? I'm taking Matt Corral, probably. I am too. It's, it's just the dynamics there of, of his uh, ability to run the football. Well, let's look at some Eli Manning stats here. 2,948 passing yards as a sophomore, 31 TDs, 9 interceptions, 3,401 passing yards in his junior season, 21 TDs, 15 interceptions. Mm. And then his senior season, 3,600 passing yards, 29 TDs, 10 interceptions. Matt Corral's right there, I think, in that bracket as a passer. This year, he's going to have far fewer interceptions than 10, I believe. And he should hit about 30 TDs. So, yes, I would take Matt Corral at this point in this offense. Now, the offenses are different. You're looking at college football nearly 30 years later. Check that, 20 years later. I was thinking Peyton Manning for some reason. 20 years later, you're thinking that this team right now obviously has a much better scheme than what it was from 2000 to 2003 and football has changed so much but I'll tell you what Matt Corral has done is super impressive but likewise I think Bo Nix has taken huge steps forward as well to the point where I don't think it's a negative here that Ole Miss has the much better quarterback because Bo is still playing at a high level. I agree. I don't think Bo Nix is is on the level of Matt Corral, but in terms of progression that we've seen out of Bo Nix this season, I think that in a, in and of itself is impressive. Eight touchdowns, two picks so far this season. Not the best numbers uh, so far throughout the course of the season, but I'm not going to knock it. Uh, f- almost 1,500 passing yards completing almost 70 or 61 I'm sorry percent uh, of his passes which is uh, higher than what we've seen from him in the past he's not been used a lot to run the football so far this season so I'm not going to knock him in that department I still think he definitely has that rushing ability Auburn just hasn't used it it that much but again you're talking about this kid progressing as a pocket passer this season somewhat and he's he was really good last week against Arkansas and when you look at him in this game specifically I think we are going to see him continue to be efficient. It's at home. Bo Nix has played well at home in his career. 
and this Ole Miss defense is allowing defenses to complete a lot of their passes. If Auburn wants to go into the tight end in this game, I think they're going to have that option. If Bonix wants to take a couple of shots to Robertson, Javaris Johnson, I think we'll have one of those in this game. He just has to go out there and continue to execute, but up until this point, he has been steadily getting better, and here we are in a top 25 matchup against uh, an Ole Miss team that thinks they're going to win the Natty, apparently. Let's move on to another position group, running backs. Running backs, I think you have to give it to Auburn, even though I will say I am impressed with the depth that, that Ole Miss has this season. Something that you said, I believe it might have been on yesterday's show, is these, it was three, yesterday. these three running backs on Ole Miss's roster, they benefit from the scheme that they run. It's like in, in 2013 for Auburn, and I'm not saying that the running backs were bad by no means, but if you have five guys that you're running all, and all you're doing that season is running, they're statistically going to be impressive. When you have three guys on your roster and Henry, Henry Parrish Jr., Snoop Connor, and Jerry and Ely that you are going to be running a lot outside of your quarterback Matt Corral, you're just gonna be you're just gonna be more efficient because you're running the football a lot more. All three of those guys in Parrish, Connor, and Ely average over five and a half yards a carry. That's good, but again, I'm impressed with the depth, but I think the dynamics and the 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 explosive ability of Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby is a little bit more uh, impressive to me, I guess, at this point in the year, and I think the ceiling is higher on both of those two running backs that Auburn has. So, uh, Sean Shivers, does he factor into this equation a little bit? I think so. I think you have to account for the fact that he has been crucial on a couple third downs this season. He has been able to uh, assert himself in, in different moments, when it, whether it be a swing pass or this this uh, coaching staff finally using some of that downhill running early on this season that we heard all off season. So Shivers has not been a huge factor up until this point in the offense, but I would also throw him in there as like that third string guy that can occasionally come in and, and be efficient. Aside from Georgia, I do believe that this is the closest matchup we've seen of running backs comparing backfields Jerry and Ely I think is spectacular he's been a little banged up this year that's why he's lagging behind right now in snap count and in total attempts but he's getting back healthy Jerry and Ely is the best running back in the Ole Miss backfield he's able to create his own space he's versatile he can be physical he's also got a lot of speed he's a good pass catching back as well they literally can get him involved in many different ways Jerry and Ely is scary for me Outside of that, I do think some of the other running backs like Snoop Connor, Henry Paris Jr., I think those guys are benefiting from this scheme, but also don't think it's fair to take these running backs out of the scheme either because sure. the reality is they, they play, play in, it. in it, right? And so at the end of the day, they're still getting that type of production out of this group. I don't think that they're as good of players as Jarquez Hunter or Tank Bigsby, but the way in which they are producing right now you and I can't argue their running backs are producing better than Auburn's right now. I think that is also fair. And also something else that we, I, I, or at least I didn't point out, we did talk about this a little bit on yesterday's show. Henry Parrish Jr. has 17 catches this year, and Jerry Neely has 11, and he's been limited. They like to use these guys out of the backfield. A lot more than Auburn does. A lot more than Auburn does. So they're versatile for sure, and I don't want to knock on these guys. I don't think they're bad. I just like the the ceiling that Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bixby have. Maybe that's me being biased. Maybe if I came to a neutral observer, they would say that Ole Miss has the better stable of backs, but I think that the, both of these groups are very good in their own right. From a depth perspective, at running back, Ole Miss has Auburn beat. Yep. They have three good running backs, and in this system, they're all extremely productive. I almost said very good. I wouldn't go that far. I think they're good running backs. 
top to bottom, one through three, this has been a shocking running back room. This is not a running back room that many people had pegged in college football to be a top five group in the SEC, but they have performed like that, all three of them. And then I also think you have to account for Matt Corral. Four guys, five guys, John Ross Lee gets some carries too. Five guys could touch the ball at any point for Ole Miss in a run play. You just don't know how they're going to get it. And that's what's made them so effective. I don't think this offensive line spectacular either. And if you take them out of the scheme, who ends up being the best running backs? If you throw Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter in the mix, I think what you said, the ceiling there for Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter and how good they are at fighting through contact and creating their own space, if you took those guys and put them in the Ole Miss scheme, good, good gracious, right? The problem is teams have been stacking the box against Auburn. You can't do that against Ole Miss because they have Matt Corral. I don't think Ole Miss is going to be able to stack the box against Auburn, and I think you're going to be able to get an extremely productive performance out of Auburn's running backs as well. The whole point I'm trying to make, though, is I think this, I think these backfields, and a lot of this has to do with scheme, but I think these backfields are comparable. I would put an equal sign on my sheet, but I do think Auburn's running backs, if I was taking these two groups out of their schemes, I do take Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter, but... Mm-hmm. That's not something that we can do because Ole Miss, their running backs are playing in their scheme and Auburn's playing right. in theirs. So I would put an equal sign here. So far, I don't have an edge for Auburn right now out of the backfield totally. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that statement. I, I wouldn't necessarily lean hard on Auburn's running backs, but what does separate them from Ole Miss's depth, and I am impressed with what they've done so far, is again that ceiling. And I do think we're going to continue to see their their ability to kind of reach that point this season I know we've not seen it for a few weeks in SEC play but I think we're going to see it again where both these guys go off and we may see it this weekend potentially I want to add this before we go to break just because so far we've given an edge to Ole Miss at quarterback and running back does not mean that we believe it's a giant gap either and nor do we think that these groups are negatives for Auburn going into this game. Of course, the no. running backs are a huge positive, and I expect them to have a big game against that Ole Miss defense that has struggled to stop the run at times this year. Also, think Bo Nix is playing so much better this season that although it's easy to say Matt Corral's the better quarterback, that may be true, but Bo Nix is also playing very well, and I think at this point, there's not a big gap between either of those position groups. Just both of these teams, they've got great backfields. Let's head to a quick break here on On the Line. When we come back, we'll take a look at receivers, offensive line, and tight ends here on our position group breakdown. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama doing our position group breakdown of the matchup between Auburn and Ole Miss. Man, I'm so happy that's at 6 p.m. on Saturday, and hopefully all this rain in the area, hopefully it's gone by then. And also, I think it's going to uh, get a little cool tomorrow, and then it's going to be pretty cool as well on Saturday. If you are a young person listening to this show, you listen to me, young whippersnappers. Listen to me. Bundle up. Do not do what you did two years ago and leave at halftime. There are some people out there that will hear that and say, I'm still going to wear khaki shorts and a t-shirt. Don't do it. Put on a hoodie. Do something. Do not leave, like Noah just said, halfway through that game because it gets cold. Stick it out for your team, all right? 100%. I was so disappointed in that two years ago. Hopefully, folks stay in the stands because this is a top 10 matchup. You're playing a top 10 team. This place needs to be crazy, and I think it will. I think everybody will have learned from their mistakes made two years ago. But continuing on in our position group matchup between Auburn and Ole Miss, wide receivers, This is another area where Auburn's has improved 
Let's see if they can establish some consistency there. But even with some injuries to the Ole Miss receiving core, I think you have to give the nod to Ole Miss. I agree as well. Even though I will note for this game, I may be off on this. I may just be behind. But I think that Braylon Sanders, their deep threat, is still not 100%. And I think Jonathan Mingo as well uh, is not fully healthy for this game. Will they both play? Who knows? But I, But those two guys... Uh, I think are listed as questionable right now, but their top guy, Dontario Drummond, has played really, really well so far this season. Averages 17.2 yards per catch, has seven touchdowns on the year. And then you look at Sanders and Mingo, Sanders averages 23.8 yards per catch, and Mingo averages 19.3. So two of those guys there, I believe, are questionable. I might be wrong on that. But Dontario Drummond certainly will be able to carry the load for the Rebels in this game. I'm not saying that this passing attack is going to be weakened. I just think that uh, I, I will say though, man, they are really—they've been really, really good. And we thought coming in, coming into the season after losing so much re- uh, production last year that they wouldn't be able to keep it up. But these three guys so far this year have been pretty good. I'll say this: if Auburn's guys catch their passes like they did in the Arkansas game, they were running crisper routes. They were on the same page with Bo. If Auburn's guys are catching passes in this game, I do think Auburn's receiving core, just talking receivers here, is deeper and healthier than Ole Miss's at this point. Even if Ole Miss is a hundred percent healthy, you got two guys: you got Dontario Drummond, and you've got Braylon Sanders. When you're talking about significant targets right Jonathan Mingo has only appeared in three games this year he's received 25 targets Braylon Sanders with 28 and then the leader far and above everybody else is Dontario Drummond with 49 after that it's the running backs getting targeted left and right I think Auburn's is deeper in terms of how many different guys they're getting involved that are purely receivers they're getting a lot of different guys involved but Ole Miss is also getting the running backs a lot more involved in this offense than most teams are in terms of throwing to their backs any one of their backs are going to catch passes Right. Yeah. And then also, again, we're talking about Auburn's depth. They've got four or five guys that they could potentially look at in the receiver room. And then also you talk about the tight end position, which we'll get to later on in the show. I mean, they've got a lot of depth. That's just there's not been that much production. But then again, Auburn's not really had to produce a whole lot. They're still five and two on the year and they've been able to run the ball pretty, pretty consistently. I'll give the edge to Auburn with tight ends. Ole Miss's most targeted tight end has received 10 targets this year across five games. Auburn's might do that in one game. Auburn, it, we, that was the question yesterday with Justin Ferguson. It was like over under eight catches, not targets, catches for this group. I think you might see something around there uh, this Saturday. We saw it last weekend against Arkansas. We'll talk offensive line play when we come back on the other side of this break, as well as breaking down the defensive position groups in this matchup between Auburn and Ole Miss. Stay tuned. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes into the first hour of On the Line. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334-564-1840. Diving in to the position group matchups between Auburn and Old Miss. Offensive line play, Lance. 
Who do you think has the edge here? I think it's got to be Auburn. You've looked at the passing, uh, pass blocking rather continuously improve throughout the course of the season. We saw it play very well last weekend against Arkansas, and I know Arkansas is not the best unit in terms of getting after the quarterback, but still, this team has continued to make improvement, not just run blocking, but pass blocking. Although I will say, during SEC play, the run blocking has taken a little bit of a step back, but it's better than what Ole Miss, I think, has got going on right now in terms of the sacks and the pressure that they allow on Matt Corral. Good on him for being able to escape it. Good on him for being able to use his legs and extend drives, as I mentioned earlier. But in terms of offensive line play and just the quality of what's going on in the trenches, I think Auburn's definitely got him beat there. Let's head to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. We'll come back to O-line play in just a few minutes. But we've got Travis on the line with us. Travis, how's it going today, my man? Boys, how we doing? We're doing real well, feeling real optimistic about Saturday. Uh, yeah, you know, I hope everything y'all saying is right. But, uh, guys, I have a little bit of beef with just about everybody this week. And, uh, you know, first off, I know it's very hush-hush on the planes about what's going on, but it, it got, if we have starters miss the old Miss game for smoking weed, then where are the players' priorities? Usually, you know, you see walk-ons failing drug tests, not starters that should be living in the film room and, you know, trying to get to the next level. And, and, and to go to go along on, the, on that line, guys, why the heck are we drug testing during a bye week? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not only that, why are we drug testing the starters? And I, I know that that sounds bad. I understand that that's not the, the way to look at it. But, guys, other teams don't test the starters because they know the results they're going to get. So I can't understand why we thought it was a good idea to, to drug test starters during a bye week, especially when, they're, when their name is literally smoke. Travis, I'll say this. If people have been following, if they're on Twitter, if they're on social media, they've seen rumors and stuff throughout the week. But I wouldn't... I wouldn't believe everything that's out there. And I know you're probably not a person that believes everything that's out there, but I would wait to see who's all out there on Saturday. I don't think it's as bad as everybody else really thought it was. Yeah, and I hope you're right on that. And, uh, you know, I try to be optimistic, but uh, it's just going to be real frustrating if that is the case. But uh, I'll stay optimistic because you say so. I'll go along with that. I agree with you. But, uh, um, guys, about this vaccination thing with Horson, I think it is horribly wrong to force somebody to take a shot in order to keep their job for a virus that's less than two years old in this country. I think that is that is the wrong thing to do. That's not right. They shouldn't be doing a mandate to force people to, to decide whether, whether or not they want to keep their jobs. But also, with that being said, Ron Harson makes $5 million, guys. Can, can he not sacrifice his belief for a needle in the arm? I mean, I understand it, it might be deeper than that. Uh, that's just on the surface. And, you know, guys, honestly, I'm a religious person myself. But if you pay me $5 million, I'm going to take just about any shot you want me to. I'll say this, Travis. On the one hand, I agree with you. I don't think that there should be a mandate for this. I'm with you there. We don't know if he's vaccinated or not. That's exactly what I was going to say. He could I was be. Like, Man, it'd be funny if he was vaccinated after all. But if that's the case, why wouldn't he just come out and say it? Because he's a football guy, and Josh right. Pate of 24-7 Sports said this earlier in the week. He put this out on Twitter, and I agreed with what he said here. He said, just because it may distract the fan base, because it may distract reporters, what they think is distracting may not necessarily be distracting to the football team. 
all of them are on the same page and I think we all have to believe that all of the players and all of the coaches are on the same page and they all know what's going on and they all respect each other enough to, for their own decisions and you know that they're all together on it I think they've been together on it from from the start of the season that you know whatever you know somebody's choice is that's what their choice is it's just not we're not going to jeopardize the football team right and if he doesn't want to talk about it publicly and that's his conviction um you know then he doesn't have to talk about it publicly right it just because it may be distracting to a certain group of reporters or to or to this a certain group of the fan base doesn't necessarily mean it's distracting to this football team and and for one i don't think it's distracting to them whatsoever if honest honestly it may be comical to them yeah and you know it's hard to keep 18 19 20 year old kids on the same page because you know there's so much social media and you know, everybody's telling them they're better than the next guy, and they just they read everything. And uh, but because I mean, on, on the surface, to me, it seems like the players and coaches are, are being selfish. Uh, you know, it seems like they're putting themselves and their benefits before the programs, and that's what that's not what the Auburn family is about. And, and the thing the thing about it is that we're sitting here at five and two. It ain't like we're two and five. We're sitting here at five and two in the middle of the toughest stretch of the year. You know, we got a top ten team coming into Jordan Hare this this weekend, and then. We got to go on the road to A and M next week. It's another top twenty-five team. We can't afford to be having those distractions that take away from what we're trying to accomplish as a team. I mean, because guys, if you, if you really look at, it, I know it's it's a month away, but Alabama's already lost. And, and if you do what you're supposed to do as far as Auburn goes, you got a chance for a play-in game for the SP Championship in Jordan Hare on November twenty-seventh. And I get the point that you're making about distractions and whatnot and what's all at stake. But I go back to this was a hot topic of conversation before the season started and I said on air I said look this is not going to be something I don't think that's going to affect this team throughout the year we didn't see it last year at the heat of all this mess we didn't see Auburn miss a football game last year because of it being Auburn's fault it was Mississippi State's fault Auburn kept guys healthy they've kept guys healthy this year they've missed fewer guys this year than they did last year it hasn't affected this team and they're in a position right now to achieve everything that they wanted to achieve before the season started that many people weren't even giving them credit to achieve. I mean, think about all the negative pub around this team before the year started and all the negative predictions about this team. Folks were predicting this Auburn team whole scale across the country to go five and seven or six and six, seven and five at best, but a lot of them were six and six or five and seven. And this team is now five and two and has a chance to play for the SEC championship if they went out. And it's honestly looking pretty good that the Iron Bowl is going to be for the SEC West. The fact that it hasn't been a problem up to this point, just because the conversation or the topic has been brought back up this week, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I just I have a hard time believing that it hasn't been an issue for seven weeks. Why is it all of a sudden now going to be an issue? Yeah, I think honestly, it could be the Bammer stirring the pot because they're <laughs> I'm win Auburn team and Jordan Hare, but uh, guys, once again, I feel better at the end of my call than I did, you know, you know, whenever I first began my call, and that's why I call you guys. I appreciate it, War Eagle. Appreciate you, Travis. Be sure to call us anytime you want. That was Travis on the line with us. Lance, you got anything to add? Yeah, I'll just say, kind of reiterating, reiterating what you were saying. 
Uh, we were talking about this early on, I believe it was in August, and we were saying, man, not only do I hope this is not going to be an, being, be an issue, I don't think it's going to be an you issue. You were more optimistic on that front than I was. And I was giving it maybe a little bit more wiggle room that something could happen, but you were like, this isn't going to be a problem. Right, and I was sitting here, I was like, nah. Like, no, it's I don't, I don't think it's going to be an issue. And here we are, and, and it's not like... Uh, like a ha got got anybody moment it's like man i'm so thankful that we are eight weeks into this season and nothing has gone wrong i know that there there are deadlines in place now and decisions that will need to be made for a lot of different people i personally know some people uh who are currently experiencing uh you know the the mandate that auburn has put out and, and 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 having to figure out how they go through with that but you know i i will say it would be entertaining at least after seeing some of the reports that have come out and all the things that have been said on Twitter, it would be entertaining if this all came out and he was, in fact, vaccinated. And to your point, this team is just focusing on football. And what you said, what Josh Pate said earlier this week, I think is right on point. This team's focused on Ole Miss. This team's focused on what they're doing. And I don't necessarily think that it's it's taking the point of like this team is being selfish and they're not doing the right thing, so to speak. I think that they are focusing the best they can on the task at hand and understanding that they do have the opportunity to get to Alabama and win at the end of the year and go to the SEC championship. So first off, man, I'm very thankful that we have not had no issues up until this point. And B, I do believe that this team's head is in the right place right now. And I'm very optimistic heading into this Ole Miss game. Dino. And something else I want to add to that is, look, just be patient. Let's see it all play out. And I'm not saying that Travis isn't being patient, but kind of my take from this is, look, I don't know if he's vaccinated or not. Frankly, I don't really care. It's not my business. He told me it's not my business. So I don't care. I'm going to see how it plays out. If he ends up not being vaccinated and he's no longer the coach, after December 8th or whatever, or it's a Washington State-like situation with Rolovich, well, then we'll talk about it when it gets to that point. But right now, none of us know. And I think it's irresponsible to kind of step out on the ledge just because you don't know. All I know is Auburn's still a a two-and-a-half-point favorite over Ole Miss this weekend, and I'm really excited about that And I think they're going to win, too. And we'll make that prediction on our show tomorrow. Make sure everybody tunes into that and stays tuned in to us throughout the rest of the week as we continue to preview this Auburn-Ole Miss game, breaking down Auburn's position group matchups between Auburn and Ole Miss offensive line play we were just talking about it I think Auburn's O-line is better I don't know how much better I think Auburn's offensive line has been more consistent from start to finish this year or through their first seven games comparing that to what Ole Miss has done through their first seven games but I do think Auburn's got the edge here maybe not by much but I do think they have the edge here namely in run blocking I believe so I also will say the fact that Matt Corral's been able to kind of extend plays when he hasn't gotten sacked and run the football. I think, and we're going to talk about this uh, for for uh, on tomorrow's show, but I think if Auburn's going to try and contain that run game, play zone, put a quarterback spy out there, it's going to force him to beat Auburn with his arm. And you look at this receiver room right now, it's a little banged up. I would love to see Auburn get themselves in a position, they've not done this a ton this year, at least not in SEC play, where they get a turnover midway through the game or early. I think that's a very real scenario where Matt Corral could be forced into another mistake that he's not really made this season. I think that's a possibility. I think this offensive line has the potential for Ole Miss to let that happen. Still taking a look at these offensive lines, I want to ask you this question. Name a good run defense outside of Alabama that Ole Miss has played this year. Let's see. They played Louisville. They played Tulane. I can tell you the schedule. They played Louisville. 
Not a good run defense. Mm-hmm. Austin P. Who? Terrific. Tulane. They're one and six. They give up a lot of points on defense. I think they give up like 45 on defense per game. This is not the Tulane teams that we had seen come to Auburn a couple of years ago back in 2019. They played Alabama. That's a good run defense sometimes. Arkansas, one of the worst run defenses in the conference. Tenth in the SEC right now. Tennessee's, I think, is okay. They force a lot of tackles for loss, but they also give up a lot per play as a defense. It's not a good defense. They force a lot of tackles for loss. They're boom or bust. So while they do create a lot of negative plays, they also give up a lot of yards too. Eighth in the SEC in rushing yards allowed a game. LSU. LSU is ninth in the SEC in rushing yards allowed per game. I haven't played good run defense yet. Those All three of those teams outside of Alabama are in the bottom half of the SEC in rush defense. So, so when I talk about offensive line play, and then you go and look at Auburn's schedule that they've played, they've played Akron, Alabama State, horrible run defenses. Penn State's got a pretty good front seven. Georgia State, they played Auburn very well from a schematic perspective, but Georgia State, not a very good run defense. LSU, in the middle of the pack, as you just pointed out, bottom half of the league, but in the middle of the pack. Georgia, best run defense we've ever laid our eyes upon, probably. (laughs) And then Arkansas, not very good. But I think Auburn's looking at that. Auburn has been tested maybe a little bit more from a physical standpoint, and their offensive line has been tested more by opposing defensive lines than Ole Miss has up to this point. Do you agree with that statement? Yes. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And then also I want to point out, if we're if we're looking at both sides of the equation, because we have to, because these teams are playing each other this weekend, Ole Miss is 13th in the SEC in rush defense. So talking about these offensive lines, listen, Auburn's run blocking might have not been very good uh, during SEC play, but they're going to have a shot to be good this weekend. I also think the point of reference for what these offensive lines have had to experience is also different yep. because nobody has been stacking the box against Ole Miss this year because they know they can't. The scheme does a lot for this offensive line to take the pressure off of it, whereas Auburn, when they need crucial yardage, they may only be able to get three yards on the ground, but that three yards probably picked up a first down. They've been able to get the key yards when they've needed it. They maybe haven't been just running over everybody that they've played, but opposing teams have also been stacking the box against them, and the running lanes are clogged. For Ole Miss, you can't possibly predict what's about to happen, and no team is stacking the box against them at this point because if you do, they're going to kill you in the passing game. The offense is so good that I think it's taken a lot of pressure off this offensive line that is still just kind of average to above average in the SEC, whereas Auburn's Auburn's has had to shoulder a lot of the load with this offense that is predicated on being physical, on getting downhill, on putting extra blockers on the field, maybe even taking receivers off at times. And then, folks, and we know this, people wanted to get pressure on Bo. They knew that if they could come after Bo, make him uncomfortable, Auburn's offense was going to be significantly less efficient This offensive line's faced a lot of adversity as far as pass blocking is concerned, and I think they've done a really good job holding up, and the stats prove it. This is still one of the best rushing offenses in the SEC from a yards per carry standpoint. Jarquez Hunter's averaging over eight yards per carry after doing virtually nothing the last two weeks, and Tank's averaging over five per carry at this point. Running backs are getting theirs, and the pass blocking, Auburn's given up less than 10 sacks this year, right? I believe it's still at seven, if I'm not mistaken, so... There you go. Also, how slow do you think Auburn's offensive tempo is going to be this weekend? Because we brought it up earlier in the week. Ole Miss is giving up a lot of, of completions to opposing defenses. They're, they're letting up things at a high clip. They're 11th in the SEC in passing yards allowed per game as well. We just mentioned this. 
Mississippi is also one of the worst rush defenses in the SEC. So what Auburn could do theoretically in this game is not necessarily play keep away, but play keep away in the fact that they can run the ball and they can get those completions to the tight ends, to the out routes whenever they need to. They don't need to be explosive, I don't think, in this game to win it. I think they can move the ball up and down the field to their leisure. I think they can kind of push things whenever they want to and they can lean back whenever they don't want to. This Ole Miss pass rush is good, but I don't know if they're going to be able to get home to Auburn consistently enough to where it makes Auburn want to drive up the tempo or makes them nervous or anything like that. So this offensive line group right now, we're talking about this unit, I think a lot of that is predicated off of this this unit's ability to get a push. And based on the numbers, I believe they will be Uh, at least at different points in this game and we know how mobile Matt Corral is and this team is still giving up over two sacks per game Mm -hmm. with Matt Corral being as mobile as he is so that tells you that there's probably more pressure than the stats are telling you so I'd give Auburn the edge in pass blocking I give Auburn the edge in run blocking versus Ole Miss now I don't think Ole Miss has a bad offensive line Mm -hmm. but I do think this is one area where you can look at and say Auburn's got the advantage in O-line and tight ends right now I'd give Ole Miss the advantage in quarterbacks, overall running back production, and then overall receiver production. But I do think Auburn's deeper at wide receiver, and I think Auburn's running backs are better overall players. This is going to be a fun football game. And when you break down these position groups, it's tight. This is going to be an excellent game. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we take a look at some NFL matchups. We play Sunday Showdown here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. We want to hear from you. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us here on On the Line. If you got any thoughts, we want to hear from you. Talking about this Auburn Ole Miss game, we'll continue to break it down. The position groups, we'll talk about defense in hour number two. And then going into tomorrow's show, we're going to transition out to some NFL picks. We'll be doing that throughout hour number two as well. But Sunday showdown, Lance you moved up another couple of games on me here. I went seven and three last week. You went eight and two. Two game lead for you in the standings. Forty six and twenty five overall. I am forty four and twenty seven. We're doing pretty well with NFL picks right now. I feel nothing <laughs> through the through these first few first few weeks. I'm like I can't believe that I went eight and two, but I'll probably follow this week up with like a five and five or something like that. As you can tell, I'm not very confident in my NFL picks. Well, another ten games here on the slate to go through tonight's Thursday night football matchup. Maybe the best Thursday night football mm-hmm. matchup we've ever gotten a six and one green bay packers team at an undefeated seven and oh arizona cardinals 7 20 p.m fox and nfl network and green bay has been doing something this year that they haven't really been able to do and years past with aaron Rodgers is they, is they played a little bit of defense so far this season and i'm kind of impressed with that arizona on the other hand undefeated still they've been kind of getting things going with kyler murray at the helm i'm a, i'm going to take arizona to win this game because I do like Kyler, Kyler Murray at home. I'll also point out the line for this game is six and a half, and I just don't see Arizona covering that. I think it's going to be close. I think this is going to be a very good matchup, like you mentioned, but give me the Cardinals at home. If Devontae Adams was playing for the Packers, which he's out, he's on the COVID-19 list, he's out for this game, hurts my fantasy team dearly, I needed the guy, just had three quarters of my fantasy team on bye week or injured, I need the guy come on man but I hope he's okay I hope he's well hope he's not experiencing any issues or anything like that but with Devontae Adams out I've got to go Arizona Cardinals here because that is the heart and soul of that offense of course they've still got Aaron Jones out of the backfield and of course 
Aaron Rodgers as well is excellent as a quarterback, but this offense hasn't been putting up points at a Green Bay Packer-esque clip that they typically do. But they're playing a little defense, like you said. I still like Arizona, all the weapons that they've got. Did you see the graphic their social media team put out yesterday? I did not. It was the gauntlet from the Avengers, Mm -hmm. and it was all of their skill position players as the Infinity Infinity Stones. And it was Kyler Murray with the gauntlet. That's awesome. Give me Thanos and the Cardinals to win tonight. Carolina Panthers at Atlanta Falcons, 12 p.m. Fox on Sunday. Uh, this is going to be an abysmal game. The Panthers offense has not been doing much, and that was proven very much so in last weekend's game against the Giants. I'm going to take the Falcons to win this game, but I don't feel great about it. I've said that quite often during this NFL pick em. You shouldn't feel good about either of these teams if you pick one of them. Panthers scored three points last week against the Giants. Thank you, Sam Darnold, for hurting my fantasy team dearly. I'm going Atlanta Falcons as well. They're scoring a little bit more, and there's major issues on that Panther offense. We'll be back with hour number two on the other side of this break. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun hour number one there, breaking down the position group matchups between Auburn and Ole Miss on offense. A fun show so far today. We'll have Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com joining us at 3.30 p.m. to continue to discuss this Auburn-Ole Miss matchup on tomorrow's show we will continue to break down these position group matchups between Auburn and Ole Miss. We'll talk about the defense on tomorrow's show. We're going to start off hour number two here on the Thursday edition of On the Line with making headlines as we do every day. And our first bullet point on most days is something that's going on with the Atlanta Braves. The Houston Astros took game two against the Atlanta Braves 7-2 to last night in the World Series to tie the series at 1-1. We'll welcome intern Sting into the program wearing his Houston Astros apparel. Sting, congratulations on your victory yesterday evening. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm excited for the rest of the series. I think it's going to be very competitive. It's so cordial right now. This is a verbal handshake between <laughs> Sting and I and a head nod after my unruly appearance on yesterday's show in a Braves victory. Oh, so you admit it now. I do. It's, it's on record. It's on record. And me sitting in the corner just casually ch- ch- uh, chuckling at what's going on in the studio. But yeah, I, shout out to, uh, to Houston for being able to bounce back. That was kind of the vibe. Uh, coming into this game I, I didn't necessarily expect it to happen but they were able to uh, do what the Braves did in game one which was get off to a relatively hot start quickly um, will be interesting to see what uh, the Astros do whenever they make a trip back to Atlanta here tomorrow on Friday yeah and it seemed almost like throughout the game that I guess in a way the offense is kind of like switched bodies from game one and game mm-hmm. two like I noticed in game one the Braves seem to be beating the shift on every single at bat they had every they had a hit on every single member of their lineup 
And the Astros just kept beating the shift last night, interestingly enough. Even had uh, Martin Maldonado, who was batting 065 yeah. at the time, uh, driving in two runs with a, with a double. And I, that's the machete for you every time. Whenever he gets a hit, which is a very rare occurrence, it's usually pretty big. I was, I was watching that game, and in my mind, I thought, like right be- literally right before the pitch was dealt, I was like, man, if we let this .65 batter get a hit, I'm just going to – like this, the game's over, and then pop. Yep. Man. It I, would be .065. .065, my bad. You say .65, that's – It sounds pretty good, That's actually. never happened before. <laughs> uh, Rosario was getting close to doing it, but – you're right, they did kind of switch bodies a little bit. But with that being said, the Astros still struck out a lot yesterday. I'll break that down in a moment. Braves, they open up the ball game with back-to-back strikeouts. And if I remember correctly, they were both looking. And it was at that point I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, Urquidy played a lot better. Uh, he did just about everything that he had to, I thought. He had seven strikeouts, only uh, two earned runs, and where... The Astros, he basically did what the Astros needed Valdez to do in game one. I'm going to throw this out there, and I'm just going to say it, and I don't want backlash because you can't argue with statistics. The first umpire for game one, total misses 11. Correct call percentage 92.7%. Calls helping the Astros 10 of the 11. The second game, correct call percentage 93.2%. Total misses 8. Calls helping Astros 7. Is it the reason that the Braves lost? No. But are we going to have to deal with this for the rest of the series? I hope not. was in Houston, though. It was in Houston. Hopefully that changes over the next three. You're right. I can't argue with statistics. I want to say this, continuing on with how sloppy the Braves were. They just didn't really wake up to me. I know that they hit a home run to tie the ball game yeah. up, but they just didn't really wake up mm-hmm. to me. Had a couple of errors in the field. Just kind of seemed sloppy. Never really quite settled into the ball game, whereas the Astros settled in right away. So that, to your point, the game played out the same way, just the other opposite side. teams. It was interesting. Yeah. And also, I will say again, that's not the reason why the Braves lost. Like you just mentioned, there were there were a couple of infield errors. It was like, okay, we've not seen this in a very long time for the Braves. Uh, it was just things that were out of the ordinary, and again, the the offense just wasn't there. And I, again, I hope that they wake up heading back to Atlanta. And they were striping. Max Freed, seven He's hits. He's not been good for two games now in, in, the, in these playoffs. Said the same thing, though, about Framber Valdez. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Valdez had two bad games, but then he also had just a masterpiece in Game 5 against Boston. So, I mean, we'll see how those, kinds of, those performances affect those two guys going in later because they will get another starting shot, I, I believe, before the series is out. And just when the Braves were starting to maybe, just like the Astros were in Game 1, get some guys on base, had some run-scoring opportunities to really make this thing close around the 4th and 5th innings, what happened? Urquidy shut it down, and then also the Houston Astros' bullpen only gave up one hit down the stretch right. after Urquidy left the ballgame. So uh, after Urquidy quit the, the ball game, the Astros put it away. That was terrible. That was. Don't boots. do that again. <laughs> I even kind of stuttered on the on the delivery there it was not my best it was not my best pun but it was a very similar type of game than what you saw in game one but I do want to add you said the offense has kind of switched bodies I do think it is of note that the Astros for the second straight game struck out more than 10 times they had 11 strikeouts last night and once again I said this on yesterday's show that's not something the Astros did a whole lot last uh, this past regular season during the regular season this year they only struck out like 30 times, uh, more than 10 times in a ballgame. Once again, delivery's off. 
they only struck out more than 10 times in a ball game, somewhere around 30 times this past year. They didn't do it often. And they've done it in both games of the World Series now. Yeah. yeah. I think the Braves pitching staff, the bullpen, I thought, performed well, even with some guys that you're not accustomed to seeing, like Dylan Lee. Do we know who's going to be on the mound for Game 3? for Ian Atlanta? Anderson. All right. All right. Against Luis Garcia for the Astros tomorrow. Fingers crossed. 7.09 p.m. on Fox. Braves are favored tomorrow. Oh, well, there you go. Interesting. They Bra- were favored last night. Braves in five back on. Let's go. Let's see. Braves are favored by a run and a half. That's the run line. Money line is minus one eleven for the Braves. So it's close. I mean, it's it's barely not even being favored at all. But right. they are favored. I believe the Astros were favored by a run and a half last night, weren't yeah. they? So it's 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 a good World Series so far. I'll say that. So that was it for our first headline of making headlines. Let's move on to our second headline: college football news. Bowl season executives. Bowl season is a legit thing. Like that is a that is the corporate structure i don't know if that's the right terminology but that is the that is the organization that manages the bowl schedule that manages all the bowls that is bowl season Hmm. it's a real thing those executives are encouraging and exhorting the college football playoff to not have campus sites in the expanded playoff in the future whereas that has been something that was suggested in the past during the meetings throughout the summer that the first round would be played at campus sites of course I saw Brett McMurphy respond to a tweet about this saying water is wet. Of course, bowl season would want this to be at neutral sites. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is like I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me because the revenue would be coming in, right? But at the same time, though, I will say, Dern, it would be fun if I got to see Auburn have a a home playoff game that actually meant something legitimate, like they were playing a non-conference opponent at home for a playoff. I mean, that would just be really, really fun to see. It's obvious. It makes sense. Which would you prefer? Uh, I would prefer, uh, even if it was not to Auburn's benefit, to have home playoff advantages. I'm kind of torn. I wouldn't mind it being neutral site bowl games, but I'm also, in regular season matchups, heavily in favor of home and homes over those neutral site games in Atlanta or Charlotte. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you. I don't really have a dog in the fight. I'm not really that vehement about either side. Whichever they choose, I'll be like, yeah, I'm cool with that. I would agree. Yeah, even if they do say no, we're going to be having uh, teams face off in the uh, in the Birmingham Bowl for a playoff spot. That's a joke. That's not. But does happen, it but mean less bowl games? No, because then you could replace the bowl games that would be filled with, with new bowl games. With new bowl games, so. but will they do that? Uh, who knows? Who knows? And would they need to do that? That's because, the other question. Because of the revenue that they would get from those playoff games that would be in bowls. So. All those people talking about how bowl games aren't fun and that bowl games don't mean anything. Fools. Don't, exactly. And also, don't fill out bowl predictions. Yeah. Don't, don't participate in one of the most fun things of the sports calendar. Get out of my house. Like, just like, don't. Because more bowl games, more football, more fun. That's yes. the whole basis of this expansion of the playoff anyway. We're going to do... And Even we, if I don't think it's the best way to determine a champion. We talked about this. I don't know if it was on air, but we are going to do bowl season predictions, and we're going to have it as a separate pick so that we can kind of chance for me thing. to redeem myself. It's a chance for Noah to redeem himself. But yeah, bowl season, absolutely fantastic. Would not be mad either way if they decided to hold playoff, if they do choose to expand it, if they decide to hold some playoff games either at home or at neutral sites. Moving on to our third headline of making headlines, Old Dominion will join the Sunbelt Conference no later than 2023. I forgot to mention this yesterday 
when we were talking about Southern Miss. Old Dominion now in the house. Here we go. Yeah, uh, everybody's making the move to the Sun Belt. Wouldn't be surprised to see Auburn make the move in just a few weeks as well. That's 14 teams in the fun belt. Man, see, it's the it's the even more fun belt. There you go. Uh, but that 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 it's would like be the fun. six flags, more flags, more, more fun. Exactly. It's, it's it's more sun, more fun. <laughs> just just add the entire CUSA to the Sun Belt now. At this point, let's just. Let's have four. Let, you know, instead of two separate divisions, let's have four of them, all right? And then you have a mini playoff in your own conference, and then you have a championship game. How about that? I stand by. This is honestly outside of the American Athletic Conference. I think this is the second best group of five conference for football. It's better than the Mountain West in my eyes. Which is surprising coming from a San Jose State alum. I am not a San Jose State alum. You, but you've been there for quite some time, though, as a head coach. I'm not there anymore. Which is a shame. Just an update on what's going on in my NCAA football video game dynasty, as Lance is alluding to. I am no longer at San Jose State. I finally won a national championship there after eight years. Did your quarterback get drafted? Or did you I, leave before he graduated? I left the year that he was going pro, and I honestly forgot to check if he got drafted. Man, we'll never know. Wow, that makes me look like a really bad head coach. I went to Florida. I'm now the Florida head coach, and I've got him undefeated in my first year. But I'll tell you, Will Muschamp left me with nothing. You want to talk about bad O-line recruiting with Gus Malzahn? I had two tackles on my roster when I came into it. I just don't understand these simulation video game dynamics. It makes no sense to me. Man, you're t- talking about the roster like they're good enough to join the Sun Belt. How about that? <laughs> right, no. Right, no. Big game against Georgia coming up this weekend in real life and on my video game. Um, so yeah, Old Dominion, Sun Belt. I'm excited about it. We talk a lot about the Sun Belt on this show, more than probably any other show in Auburn. And the reason why we do is because there is some good football played there. And I think there are some good teams. And you look at Coastal Carolina ranked still after they lost. A group of five team lost and is still ranked. Not 25, but 24. Troy is a pretty good team. South Alabama is experiencing an uptick in wins this year. There are good teams in that league. Appalachian State, Louisiana Lafayette. There are good coaches in that league. And it's a shame that Arkansas State decided to uh, to kill the program by hiring Butch Jones because they are currently 1-6 and six and 0-3 and in conference play. If they hadn't, they'd still be a bowl-eligible team, I think, this season. They got the talent for sure. <laughs> they could get good under Butch Jones. He did okay with Tennessee. Well, I'll tell you what they are winning at is life. Champions of life in, in, in Arkansas State. Last headline here, Auburn basketball is holding its scrimmage tomorrow in Auburn Arena. Sting, the real some, news. You had something you want to say, Sting? I was just going to go like, oh, about <laughs> Arkansas State. That's They've fallen a long way since rough. the beginning of the 2010s, late 2000s, when they were experiencing great success. Uh, the Sun Belt has changed dramatically. Lance, th- Auburn basketball? Yeah, Auburn basketball. I think I'm, well, I don't know if I'm going to be attending this, although I will say I do really want to tomorrow afternoon. They're going to have a dunk contest. They're going to have a scrimmage. We're, gonna get, we're going to get to see what this team looks like. Zepp Jasper has been a topic of conversation among fans for a couple weeks now after his really strong pro day. I'm really intrigued by what this guard position is going to do this season with Wendell Green, Katie Johnson, and Zepp Jasper. I will really enjoy getting to see these guys in person and seeing how they handle the ball, how they distribute, how they play defense, everything about them. Really excited to see this team. Also, don't forget two of the best bigs in the country, Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith. Who's going to win the dunk contest? Dunk contest. Kessler said that he's not very flashy. I don't know if... Seven-foot guys don't win the dunk contest. Yeah, I don't know if it would be Smith. If Flanagan was healthy, I would pick him. 
I think, not Cambridge. I think you. Well, I think you're either looking at yeah. I'd probably pick Flanagan over Cambridge. I just, really? I would just. I think he's got Cambridge got more bounce, bro. He does have bounce, but I like Flanagan. I think he's he could potentially be a little bit more flashy. I just I I, I don't know. That would be fun though. Cambridge, I'm looking at right now. Jalen Williams as a potential candidate uh, could be lobbing some stuff off off the backboard to himself just to get fans That's excited. That's true. Um, He's got the best in-game dunk we've maybe ever seen. Yeah, Cambridge or Williams, I think I'm looking at, or Smith. We'll just have to see what the three do. Cambridge will be flying out of the gym though. Like that, that watching him dunk will be fun. He's definitely going to have a dunk probably where his head's at the rim. Mm-hmm. We've seen that a few times. So Cambridge is the guy I'm looking at. That's my selection. We're going to speak with the head of the Jungle president, Jacob Hillman. The Jungle is Auburn's student student section, section, and he is the president of that organization. We'll be speaking with him. We'll get his prediction. I think he's going Cambridge, too, if I had to guess. Yeah, I probably, if it were, again, if Flanagan were healthy, I'd be having a tough time with it. But because he's not, I'm looking at Cambridge probably as the eventual winner. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. Ed is on the line with us. Ed, how's it going? Uh, I'm doing great, guys. How are y'all doing today? Doing real well. Yeah. Uh, I had just a couple of comments. Uh, first thing uh, about, they give y'all, they give you two hours, right? Yeah, we get two hours. Uh, or Doug, after y'all, he gets two hours, right? Who? Uh, uh, Bill. Yeah, me. Bill does. Yeah, Bill gets two hours. And yet, who is the genius? In your station that has Doug, the biggest, most obnoxious Bama fan I've ever heard on the radio, making jabs at Harson. Who, who is the genius that worked out to have him three hours in the middle of the day? Hey, Ed, that- we uh, we understand your comments. We and I'll and I'll be sure to pass it along, and and we appreciate that. But if we'd like to talk some sports rather than um, talking about the show before us. Let me talk about a little bit of sports. Well, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll call you back. Sure thing, Ed. We'll see you later. That was Ed on the line with us. Now let's keep going along on the phone lines. We got Ty with us now. Ty, how's it going? Pretty good, guys. How y'all doing? We're doing real well. What's up, my man? Um, all right, so question. Um, big Braves fan. I, I was at game six when they clinched. I mean, I, it, that was that was the only thing I can re- relate that to is kick six or even 17 when we beat Alabama and rushed the field. I was there and did that. That's the only other time I've experienced anything like that. Um, it was absolutely amazing. And the battery was, oh, man, it was crazy afterwards. But So I want to talk baseball with you real quick. Last night they splashed up uh, Altuve. He has a uh, second um, all-time in postseason home run. Do you guys kind of look at that like a Barry Bonds with an asterisk? Um, because of his cheating, and because of everything that's gone on with the Astros in the past too, right, I look right. at a I lot mean, of stuff again, with the Astros you, with an asterisk. You got to look at some of those home runs was because of a trash can. I mean, there's no doubt. And then, and, and then my second question is, you know, who, what do y'all got? What do you guys kind of look at worse? Do you you guys consider PDs worse a, oh. a, a source of cheating, or do you look at you know, sign stealing and stuff like that. You know, deflate gate. Um, you know, when uh, Belichick and them stole the videos or was taping the jet. Like, so does PD? Is is it worse to you than 
than actual cheating, you know, like actual, you know, any other kind of cheating, pine tar, you know, stuff like that? You know, that's a tough question. I've never thought about that, nor has anybody, nor have I heard anybody actually ask that question before. And honestly, like, I'd like to think about that more, but my response is cheating is cheating, and uh, I don't like either of it. You know what I mean? Like, it it gives an unfair advantage. Yeah. That's kind of where I was when I like again when I saw that Altuve last night. I said, "Hmm, I wonder if they're going to treat him like they do Barry Bonds, you know, and and keep him out of the Hall of Fame." And I mean, because a cheater's a cheater, right? I mean, it, it doesn't matter how you cheat on a test; you cheat on a test, right? I mean, yeah. and then that's the way I looked at it. And so I, I just I don't know. Like you said, I've never heard really anybody ask that either. And so that question came to my mind. I thought that was it. A really good question. You know, I I, I I think Barry Bonds and them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, how many, you know, again, how many home runs did he hit off of people who had PD? But anyway, guys, um, last thing I'm going to ask, uh, get, get back to Auburn football. Uh, are there any uh, truth in the rumors that, you know, Saturday we're going to be blindsided with a bunch of defensive uh, suspensions? I don't know if you guys have heard that, but I'll I've say this. Rumors floating around. I'll say this, don't believe everything you see on the internet, and I'm not saying that you're one of those people that are gullible on what's on the internet, but I'll just say stuff hits social media and then it gets blown way out of proportion, and that's what I'll say about that. All right, man. War Damn Eagle, guys. War Eagle to you, too. We're going to head to a quick break. When we come back, Ed has called back in. Ed, we'll uh, get you on the other side of this break here on On the Line. Thursday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. I've been talking a lot of Auburn Ole Miss. Just had a call there from Ty the Tiger, who was on with us, breaking out a little baseball with us here between the Braves and the Astros, um, asking us about Hall of Fame stuff. I do have a response to that. We'll get to that, though, after this call. We're going to head back to the phone lines again, 334-321-1390. We got Ed with us again. Ed, how's it going? Uh, hey, I'm doing fine. Uh, a lady walked out in front of me, and and I had to jump out real quick. Everything's okay, uh, but uh, she fell. But anyway, as far as sports, uh, on Auburn, uh, I've been calling for years. And when I'd call in, and you know what I'd say when Auburn's not really recruiting good defensive linemen, you know what I heard every time? What about Derek Brown? Well, you can't build a program off of one guy, you know. And but Gus Malzahn left us in very bad shape as far as depth on both lines and, and receiver also. But you know, I'm very happy with where Auburn is right now with development with uh, the players they've got. I, I think they're going to get you know a few uh, good linemen. I, I know there's a good junior college lineman that's looking at us. And I think Auburn's going to be fine. Auburn people need to kind of realize this is not going to turn around overnight. You know, it's going to take a couple of years. And, and as far as I want to talk real quick about Auburn basketball, if I could. Go for it. Uh, uh, yeah, I think going into the season fifth in the SEC, I'm cool with that. I've got no problem with that. But, you know, you know and betting if there's over and under uh I'd, I'd give us under at the end of the year because i don't think we're going to be fifth at the end of the year i think we'll be second or third maybe first you know i, I just i love the talent they've got walker kessler and uh, uh, uh jabari and and 
the guards that you know, Jake. I, I, when Dale's up, JT, uh, and I, I just, I, I, I really think that y'all misunderstand me when I call sometimes, and I'm being negative. I, I, I wasn't trying to be negative to y'all. I just, it's, it's hard to listen to three hours of that rascal, and I'm sorry if, if I pissed y'all off, or messed you up. I'm sorry. No, you're good, okay. Ed. We and hey, we like the optimism about that basketball team. Uh, we think this team's going to have a good year this year. I agree with you. I think they'll finish higher than fifth. Uh, uh, all right, all right, I, I really do. All right, thanks, guys. That was Ed on the line with us. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety is the number to call if you want to join in on the show. Going back to talking about the World Series and something that was brought up by Ty the Tiger with H- Jose Altuve, intern Sting. Resident Astros fan in the house, you want to defend it? Go for it. Yeah, I just want to respond to Ty. Um, there's a misconception in with the whole scandal that Jose Altuve is the face of that scandal. That's really inaccurate, quite honestly. And to back that up, there's a book that recently came out, written by Andy Martino, who's a New York-based journalist. And in the book, he the book is all about the Astros cheating scandal and the history of science dealing in baseball in general. I'm not trying to defend what the Astros are doing. I'm defending specifically Jose Altuve because in this book and in general in the investigation, you can see that the investigators from Major League Baseball determined that Jose Altuve's swing profile was not consistent with someone who was cheating, at least not consistently. Someone that didn't have advanced knowledge yes, did not of have advanced pitch knowledge information. Of right, exactly. Yeah, his swing profile was not consistent with that. And you can see in several other clips when you can just barely hear a little bang in the distance that he looks over at the dugout and he glares at them. And on top of that, other players on the team at the time have consistently said Jose did not like this and did not want any part of it. So I just I want to get out there and defend Jose Altuve on that and also on the buzzer thing. I don't think Ty mentioned the idea of the buzzer, but I had a long-winded argument Tuesday with a friend of mine who was a Yankees fan and said, well, Altuve was wearing buzzers. No, he was not. Because there's no evidence to substantiate that. I just want I just want to throw it out there because I think it's interesting that Jose Altuve is the face of a scandal that he wasn't really even very involved with at all. That's kind of goes back to, you know, be careful who you hang out with. And I know Altuve can't control that because he's on contract with the Houston Astros. But in life, you're told, be careful who you hang out with because sometimes you get lumped in with stuff like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I understand that. But and yeah. this actually thing that I'm looking at that kind of breaks it down, well, Derek Jeter didn't stop his teammates from using steroids. That's fair. A little so, bit different because he may have not have had full knowledge of them doing that. I don't know. Is there proof that Derek I don't Jeter know. knew? I don't know because I'm not, again, not very well-versed on that scandal. Yep myself so and going back to what uh ty the tiger said too about hall of fame stuff i'll say this people have seemed to move on so much quicker from what the astros did and this was recent i mean of course pitchers were you know pegging astros players for months and, Mm -hmm. and for that whole year since you came back from it but the game and the fans around it although they still jeer on it occasionally i think people moved on from this a whole lot quicker than people moved on from the ped scandal because it's like on those guys resume like they can't get away from it i think that was probably the heart of his question because it is treated differently yeah and also too i think that's kind of two different things like steroids other peds can be quantified to show that it enhances performance whereas i guess if you know the pitch with the kind of pitches coming that you still helps. gotta hit the ball you still have to it perform. helps it definitely helps but you still have to hit the ball right so 
don't it know. helps sting just, a lot. I, it does. It does. <laughs> I'm up? not saying it doesn't. I just want people who discuss that scandal to be informed about what really happened as opposed to just seeing Astros cheated. Oh, the whole team is full of cheaters. Tomorrow's show, which is more beneficial, steroids or knowing when the pitch is coming? Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Appreciate all the phone calls that we've got today. We've heard from Spectre, Ed, Ty the Tiger, Travis. Hope I'm not leaving anybody out. We've had a great lineup of calls today. And it keeps rolling here on the Thursday edition of the show. we got Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us. Christian, how you doing today, my man? I'm good. I'm good. It feels a little weird on a Thursday, but doing pretty good. Excellent. Well, we've had a lot of calls today about rumors and whatnot and conjecture, and we've just been trying to quiet everything down and whatnot, but it seems like some of the stuff that people may have been reading on social media throughout the week, maybe they should be pumping the brakes. What do you know? Yeah, it's not it's not as serious as some of the rumors that I've seen on social media. Uh, to my knowledge, there's two guys that I don't expect to be available on Saturday. Uh, they're backups. They don't really play all that often to begin with anyway. Um, as I, as far as I know, there's a chance they could return to the team later on this season, and we'll be able to release those names probably closer to game time, or Auburn will probably release the names as well. But look, there's no starters that are going to be out because of suspension or anything like that. It should be It should be mostly a full house in terms of everybody being available. Okay, let's get into the actual ball game now. Of course, there's been a lot of stuff made about this week about Brian Harson, COVID-19. Of course, it's like we're rehashing what was going on a month before the season, but this team says they're focused on football, and that seems to be the right messaging coming out of a program that's got a top-10 opponent coming to Jordan-Hare Stadium. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think the suspensions were a big uh I don't think they were a big deal, and I don't think the COVID vaccine thing was a big distraction either for Auburn. I think they've been really focused on this matchup. From what I've heard, they had a good week of practices during the bye week, got some guys healthier, got some guys going better, and then this week has been an intense week of practice, and they are extremely focused on Old Miss and doing everything that they can to have a really strong showing on Saturday. What do you think is the most important thing for this Auburn defense to do to kind of limit what this Ole Miss offense wants to do? Obviously, Matt Corral can do a bunch of different things. He can throw the ball. He can run the ball. They've got a great stable of backs. They've got some talented receivers. But what is the most important key for this Auburn defense in order to kind of limit what Matt Corral and this offense wants to do? Yeah, well, I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to give you two. Um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Matt Corral is the big one. They need to make sure that they set the edge, keep him contained, and then they also need to keep him on his toes a little bit, send some blitzes his way, and then also make sure that they have a spy on him as well, which could be Zacoby McLean, could be Owen Papo if he's ready to go, which it sounds like he's trending in the right direction to go this weekend. And then the second big thing for me for the Auburn defense is they need to win on second and third down. I mean, Ole Miss goes for it on fourth down way more than any other school in the country, and if Auburn can put them in, you know, even just the difference between a fourth and three and a fourth and five would be massive because that that could likely force them to punt the ball and Auburn's offense can get the ball back again. So 
if they can win those second and third downs and not let Ole Miss into fourth and short opportunities, I think that'll be big. Still taking a look at the schematics of this football game. Auburn has a five-year winning streak over Ole Miss. They had a five-year winning streak over Arkansas coming into this season. And something that I said when Auburn was getting ready to play Arkansas, I said there's a reason why Auburn has winning streaks over these two teams. They've been better than these two teams consistently in the trenches. What do you think about Auburn on the offensive and defensive lines playing Ole Miss and vice versa? Yes, I mean, that's an interesting topic. It's kind of a it's a situation where Auburn wants to prove, hey, we're still Auburn. I know Ole Miss is ranked ahead of us right now, but we're still the big guns in the SEC West, and they want to prove that. And in terms of the offensive line, I've been pleasantly surprised by their performance this year. You know, they've been a pretty, I would say they're a pretty decent pass blocking unit compared to last year where they really struggled. Now they do need to improve in run blocking, but I've still been pleasantly surprised with the offensive line. Um, We expect Austin Troxel to be back, and I probably would expect him to slot back in at left tackle and Killian Zaire would move back to the bench, but that's still some good depth that they have now, and they've seen kind of what Killian can do. As for the defensive line, I mean, you look at a guy like Colby Wooden, you look at Derek Hall, a couple of versatile pieces, Marcus Harris I would throw in there too. Those are guys that can really move around a lot and be really big um, for this defensive line on Saturday. You look at this group of Auburn running backs, and over the course of SEC play, it feels like there's kind of been a steady decline in terms of production, both from Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. Looking at Miss, or looking at Ole Miss, they are currently – 13th in the SEC in rushing yards allowed per game. Do you expect this Auburn backfield to maybe get back to the uh, success that they were having in the the, uh, the non-conference slate? Yeah, I think so. I think we're going to see a really, really good game out of Tank Bigsby. Um, I mean, he was banged up just a little bit earlier in the season. It slowed him down, and some of the run blocking hasn't been as good, like I just mentioned. But I think Tank is going to have a really good opportunity on Saturday. I think he's really fired up and wants to prove go out there and prove something. Um, and you look at it as well, the past couple games, um, teams have kind of stacked the box against Auburn, and they said, hey, we're going to make Bo Nix beat us. Well, against LSU and against Arkansas, he went and beat them. So I think it's going to be a really good opportunity where teams aren't going to be able to stack the box quite as much anymore because Bo has proven that he can go out there and win those games. So I think that gives the running backs a little bit more of an opportunity as well going into Saturday. You mentioned the offensive line and talking about the left tackle position with Austin Troxel being back. You expect him to start again at left tackle, but kind of what is your take on that battle or perceived battle at left tackle between Austin Troxel and Killian Zaire, who played really well a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, I thought Killian played really good, and I think that could be a look into the future for Killian as the potential starting left tackle next year uh, if Troxel. I believe he would be gone after this year unless he took advantage of his COVID year and that extra eligibility. But as of now, I think Troxel is just a little bit more stable. He's got a little bit more stability there over at left tackle. He's proven to be a pretty solid pass blocker, to be honest. I think he's graded out the highest in terms of Auburn's offensive line in pass blocking by PFF. So I think they feel just a little more comfortable with him and his experience. But like I said, Killian Zaire ended up providing some I mean, he was important for that Arkansas game, but now it really shows that you do have depth at that spot and that you've got a guy that can come in and play if needed. I know you cover recruiting for AuburnSports.com. What's the recruit list, the the visitor list look like for guys coming to a top-ten matchup? 
Yeah, so there's going to be some of the usual uh, suspects, guys like Tay Woody, a couple of 2023 guys out of Central Phoenix City, Tamarian Parker, Carmelo English. Uh, as for some 2022 kids, Marquise Gilbert, a safety, uh, a JUCO safety that's teammates with Juwan Gaston. He'll be here on an official visit. And then there's another guy that's committed to LSU that we expect to be here this weekend, but I'm not entirely sure right now, and that would be DeMario Tolan, a linebacker commit. So it's a decent little list of commits that'll or recruits that'll be here this weekend. Not quite as big as the Georgia game, but there's going to be some good commits or recruits here, excuse me. And then also, you look at basketball, there's a good chance intent that something good happens this weekend very nice uh well take me through the basketball visitor list then too because i know that there is a basketball player too that's coming to check out this ball game yep the big one is chance westry uh we have him on rivals listed and listed as a point guard but he's six foot six he could play shooting guard he could even play small forward in bruce pearl's system um he'll be here on an official visit this weekend and then he is making his announcement on sunday I do not think that timing is a coincidence, and I think Auburn's going to get a nice little boost to their 2022 recruiting class in basketball this weekend. There's a 2024 kid that'll be here as well out of Montgomery, uh, LeBaron Phylon. I watched him play at Bruce Pearl's Elite Camp over the summer, and he was very good. So that's a guy pretty far down the line to look out for a little bit, but he'll be here this weekend as well. And then real quick, he's not here this weekend, but Jarris Walker is making his final official visit this weekend. He'll be in Houston, and then he makes an announcement on November 4th. I continue to feel that it's an Auburn-Houston battle. Um, I, I wish I had more than that. All I really know is it's Auburn-Houston with Alabama in third place right now. Yeah, I was about to ask you what was going on with Jairus Walker, and so that's interesting. I hope Auburn can pull through on that, but I know Auburn fans will probably be happy with the sentiment. If not Auburn, then please not Alabama. I want to ask you about football. Any chances for Auburn to make headway there for some more commitments? I know they seem to be picking up some steam. At least that's the headlines that you see every week. Yeah, they've been they've been moving forward a little bit. They've been getting some of those commits. I think there's still some guys that could be relatively close to making a decision and making it publicly. You know, a guy like Darius Clemens, the four-star receiver out of Portland, Oregon. Um, there's some of those other guys as well, but they're making headway it might not it might not show up immediately with a commitment you know here in the next week or two but they're making some headway they're making progress I think they're doing a good job kind of turning this recruiting class around a little bit and I think they'll be able to end with some pretty solid commitments here towards the end I know that in this game, once switching back to the Auburn Ole Miss matchup, I know there's going to be a lot of eyes on Matt Corral, but talk for a second, if you will, about what this Ole Miss defense is going to try and do against Bo Nix. We were talking about it earlier in the show. Ole Miss giving up, in terms of completion percentage, a lot of different completions. Auburn likes to go to the tight ends whenever they feel the need to get the passing game going. Do you see Bo Nix being comfortable in this matchup, or do you think Ole Miss's defense is going to be able to, to strain him a little bit? You know, I don't really think they're going to be able to strain him too much. Um, I think a lot of people are still kind of holding their breath a little bit and wondering, you know, has Bo really turned the corner? Um, is he playing this way for the for the remainder of his career, or is this kind of just a little three-game stint where he's been playing pretty good? Uh, I'm of the belief that I think maybe not fully turned the corner, but I think he's maybe flipped the page. He's moved on and started to play a little bit better. Ole Miss's defense is really nothing special. They've been playing a little bit better recently, but I don't think they're going to be able to do enough to limit or stop Bo Nicks. 
Last question here to you before we get out of here. What's your prediction for the ball game? Oh, man. I've been going back and forth on this one because I have a lot of respect for Ole Miss. I think they're a good team. I think they're a team that any any Saturday they, they could just drop 60 points. And it's like, well, good luck. Try and keep up. But I do think this one's going to be a little bit of a shootout. I think just simply because Auburn's coming off the bye week and they'll be rested, getting some guys back and being in a good spot, I'm going with Auburn 41-38. But it's going to be a close one. Auburn putting it up in a shootout. I like it. Christian, appreciate it, my man. Tell everybody all the content they can expect and where they can find it. Yeah, so I'll have some different recruiting stuff up tomorrow and a Q&A and some other stuff up throughout the weekend over at AuburnSports.com. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Clemente underscore. Appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. You guys as well. That was Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com here with us for the show today. We will be back to wrap up the show when we come back. More of Sunday Showdown. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. It's been a fun show so far today. We'll be back with you tomorrow as well. If you missed any of the show today, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Keep listening after us to The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack. we got about eight minutes left in today's show. Sunday Showdown. Lance, 46-25 and 25 on the year. I am 44-27 and 27 on NFL picks. So far, we have both picked the Cardinals in tonight's game over the Packers, and we have both picked the Falcons over the Panthers on Sunday. Now let's keep going through some picks. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cleveland Browns, 12 p.m. CBS. I'm going to pick the... You know what to do. I'm going to pick the Browns in this game to win you over Noodle Arm. Do. I can't pick Noodle Arm to win a game. That's right. I, even though the Browns are, are, uh, are injured... You picked uh, against us last week. Yeah, I know. I can't do it again. And I can't pick won. against Ernest Johnson. Didn't he play at USF? I might, did. I, I might be wrong on that. But, yeah, can't, can't pick against the Browns after I picked wrongly last weekend. Exactly. <laughs> Browns win. Nick Chubb's coming back, too. Oh, well, there you go. Fat Doug. Big shot in the arm to my fantasy team. It's huge. Needed it really bad. Yeah, I'm going to take the Browns in this one. Steelers don't have a whole lot on offense. Browns are getting some of their guys back, getting healthier. Jarvis Landry's back as well. Case Keenum managed the game well. I'll take the Browns in a close one. I don't think it's going to be a fun ball game, but and by no means do I think the Browns are still like – I think they're in a good playoff position, but I'm not saying that they are for sure going to make the playoffs or that they're even that good of a team, even with a lot of these absences, but I do think they're better than the Steelers at this point. 4-3 and three, Cleveland Browns, 3-3 three and three Steelers, evenly matched on Sunday. Tennessee Titans at the Indianapolis Colts, 12 p.m. CBS. I am going to take the Titans to win this game. They've been playing good football as of late. Beat the Chiefs pretty badly last weekend. 27-3 was the final score there. Indianapolis is favored by one and a half points in this game. I'm surprised. Give me the Titans to win on the road. I'm scared because the Colts played really well last week too. Now granted it was against a subpar 49ers team. But the Titans, as you saw earlier this year when they lost to the Jets... They're good for laying an egg every once in a while, and I could totally see them laying an egg in this division that has been close at the top for most years. But the Titans have a real opportunity to take a stranglehold over it, as if they don't already, because the Colts are the second-best team in the league and they still have a losing record. I'll take the Titans, too. San Francisco 49ers at the Chicago Bears, 12 p.m. on Fox. I don't like this game at all. I do not like this game at all. I'm going to pick Chicago to find a way to bounce back and win at home. This 49ers team, like you mentioned, is not very good. Neither is Chicago, but this is at home. 
hopefully they find maybe 17 points to win this game. Who knows? Somewhere around there. They may not. I don't know. I don't like this game at all. I don't like this game at all. Neither of these teams can throw the ball. There is my Dr. Seuss ride to, to amend say. what you were doing. I'm going to go 49ers. Did you take the Bears? Is that what you did? I took the Bears. I'm going to take the Niners. All right. I'm not, I, I, uh, I'm not Kyle mad Shanahan or Matt Nagy? Which one? Uh, neither. Can I just abstain, <laughs> please? I'll take Shanahan in that matchup for real, but I'm not mad at that. It's just at home. They bounce back. They've had a couple of really bad weeks. Uh, the Bears did beat the Raiders and the Bengals earlier this year. I think they yeah. have the, at least the ability to beat the 49ers, but I really don't. I'm not mad at anybody that would pick the 49ers to win this. New England Patriots at Los Angeles Chargers, 3.05 p.m. CBS. Chargers, and I think the Chargers win this one. What is the line? Four and a half? Yeah, I'll take uh, the Chargers to cover that as well. Gold Chargers go. That was a terrible uh, impersonation of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I th- at least I recognized it. Get to the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take the Chargers um, in this one too. Even though the Pats did burst for 51 points last week or 54 points against the Jets. Hang on, say it again. Against the Jets. <laughs> against the Jets, yes. Still, I, I understand what you're saying. Chargers are coming off of a bye week. They'll be rested up too. So yeah, I'll take the Chargers in that one. Washington football team at Denver Broncos. I... Picked against the Bron- or I picked the Broncos to win this past weekend. I'm going to do it again and see if they burn me two weeks in a row. Give me the Broncos at home over a Washington football team that is uh, not playing good as of, as of late. They've lost three straight. Uh, I will say, though, they have beaten the teams this season that they've played that have not been very good, but they've, they've lost by quite a bit to the teams that they've played that are. Broncos have lost four in a row. I picked them two weeks in a row like you did. They burned me both times but I'll go back to the stove a third time. We'll see if I burn myself. I'll take the Broncos in this one. It it has to come down to the fact that the Broncos at least have a defense here. Neither of these teams are scoring the ball well, but the Broncos at least have a defense at home. I'll take them. Moving on to our last three games here, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints, 325 p.m. on Fox. All right, so I've got to be able to pull up real quick the New Orleans Saints, how, what Jameis Winston has been doing in his on-off game. So week one, he was good. Week two, he was bad. Week three, he was good. Week four, he was bad. Week five, he was good. Week six, he only threw one touchdown. So this is this is means that Jameis Winston is going to have a good week uh, this week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it will not be enough. Tom Brady right now, I believe, leads the league in passing yards and touchdowns. I might be wrong on that at like 44 years of age or something stupid. He's like 100 at this point. Uh, Yeah, give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go on the road and win this game, but I will say you should expect, based on his trajectory and how he's gone up and down this season, you should expect a good performance from Jameis Winston. I like what you said there, but still, I can't pick against the Buccaneers. They're still a very good football team. Like, if you wanted to say, oh, this could be an upset this weekend, that's fine, but it feels so much like a long shot that I I don't even want to pick it. It, This is one where I would say, like, man, there's an 80% chance here that the Buccaneers win. And I would rather take the 80% chance than the 20% chance. So I'm going Buccaneers. Last two picks, Dallas Cowboys at the Minnesota Vikings, 7.20 p.m. NBC. Dallas has found their offense. They've played good football so far this season, I believe. 5-1 uh, and one right now. Minnesota uh, is trying to hold on with Kirk Cousins, who has played well in a 3-3 three and three season, 13 touchdowns, 2 interceptions. But, man, Dak, or Dak Prescott and that Cowboys offense, I think it's just going to be a little too much in this game. Uh, give me Dallas to win. They just haven't beaten anybody. The Vikings haven't. Not not the Cowboys. Cowboys have beaten some decent teams. They've beaten the Patriots, beaten the Chargers, beaten an Eagles team that was still playing pretty well early on in the season. Lost by two to the Bucks. To exactly. I, I think they're a legit team. I think this team, if they continue to improve, 
You know, they got some issues at, at time. They, they bleed a lot of yardage on defense, but they also come up with a lot of big plays on defense. Trayvon Diggs is an interception machine, you know, so they make big plays. That helps out that offense. A lot is boom or bust. I, I think they're lacking a defense that could win them a Super Bowl, but I definitely could see them be factoring into it in the NFC this year. Give me the Cowboys. Last game here, real easy one. New York Giants at the Kansas City Chiefs, 7.15 p.m. ESPN, Monday Night Football. I'll go ahead and tell you I'm taking the Chiefs. Call me crazy. Do it. I'm picking the Giants to win this game. Really? I am going to pick the Giants to win this game. We had to pick differently at some point this week, right? Yeah, at some point we got to choose. So we got two different ones the Niners and the Bears, and then the Chiefs and the Giants. I'm trying to even it up. I'm just trying. I'm I'm, trying to bring me back in. No, well, you're not far behind. It's just I'm trying to bring it back in so at the end of the year we can't have the exact same record. You know what's crazy, though? The the Chiefs are three and four, and the Giants are two and five. I mean, there's not a, a lot separating these two teams from a record standpoint, but the Chiefs have played a vastly more difficult schedule than the Giants have let me tell you what separates New York in this game a terrible Dan Daniel Jones having a decent game I think it's possible (laughs) hasn't happened very often that, that's the that is your straw man argument. Yeah, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel Jones, Jones does okay today. <laughs> that's why make? the Giants will win. I don't even know if he will. I'm just saying it's possible. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.